Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we're feeling it. If this is your first time joining us. Welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Okay, so we've got Overcast and Overdrive, and we're all over it. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Why did uh, I do that? Uh, Go ahead. Uh. <laughs> the count. We need to play that every time you make a pun. <laughs> we need a soundboard <laughs> for just that sound. No others. <laughs> Good to know I can count on y'all. Oh, come on, man. Really? <laughs> Ugh. All right, welcome everybody. We are so glad to have you here with us, whether you're listening for the first time or back listening to us again this week. We are stoked to talk with you this morning on Feeling It. Um, so first off, let's go around the table, introduce ourselves. Um, and when you're introducing yourselves, let us know what your favorite ice cream flavor is, since the summer months are finally upon us. I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and my favorite ice cream flavor is Cherry Garcia. I'm Lucas Wright. I'm a designer in the Bay Area, and my favorite ice cream flavor is the most boring, cookies and cream. That's not the most boring. The most boring is vanilla. That's true, actually. Give yourself more credit. All right, while you're giving yourself more credit, Brent Bailey, introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Brent. I work in tech in Chicago, Illinois, and I write about uh, faith and film online. Uh, I don't really have a favorite flavor of ice cream. I tend to order something different every time I go, but there was a local dairy that was serving a blueberry pie ice cream with actual pie crust in it for a while that was pretty phenomenal. Ooh. That sounds amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That sounds incredible. All right, and I am Lawson Soward. I'm an art director in Nashville, Tennessee, and my favorite ice cream flavor is a tie between mint chocolate chip and chocolate chip cookie dough. All right, so this week we're going to be uh, – talking about a couple different things. We'll start off with going through what we're feeling this week. Um, no news to talk through, but we're going to talk about our main question this week, which is our top three ways that we consume media. So before we jump into what we're feeling this week, I wanted to mention um, that in two weeks, we're going to be talking through uh, some books that we're reading. Brent found an awesome uh, summer book or summer reading list, and we each picked one of our favorites and uh, are kind of reading those independently right now, and are going to discuss them in one fortnight. So we wanted to give you guys a chance to uh, see what we were reading, see if any of them interested you, if you wanted to read them to be able to follow along better in the podcast. Um, so everyone want to just go around and tell us what you're reading? Yeah, I can start. Um, this was from AV Club's summer reading list, and I picked Insignificant Others by Stephen McCauley. I'm going to be reading A Visit from the Goon Squad, Jennifer Egan's novel from 2010. And I'm going to be reading The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova. Great. And I'm going to be reading When You Are Engulfed in Flames by David Sedaris. All right. So uh, with that, let's move into what we're feeling this week. Um, Sandra, you want to kick us off? Sure thing. So the thing that I'm going to talk about this week, I'm not going to say that I'm so much feeling it as more as like I have lots of feelings about it. Um, it, it is, um, the new album from John Bellion called The Human Condition. Um, this is his debut album. He's released mixtapes before on Spotify that I'm familiar with, but this is his first, like, I think record label album. Um, have any of y'all ever heard of John Bellion? No. Okay. So I hadn't either. And even like till this point, still today, I've never heard of him other than doing my own Google searches about him. So I've never heard anyone mention him, never heard him on the radio, like nothing. The way I came across John Bellion the very first time was one of his songs last year was on my weekly Spotify Discover playlist. And I really... Love that thing. Yeah. It's great. Um, I really fell in love with this song. It became like a constant jam of mine. This was probably back in like August or September. Um, it's called All Time Low, and I'm going to play it for y'all now. Was the knight in shining armor in your movie? Would put your lips on mine and love the aftertaste now. I'm a ghost, I call your name, you look right through me. You're the reason I'm alone and masturbate. 
shit's broken. That shit's broken. That I'm at an all time. So I really, really dug that song. That's um, gonna be stuck in my head for a month. It's yeah, cr- seriously. It's a, it's a great track. Super catchy. Yeah. So um, I was listening to it all the time. I thought I had, I was like, this is my new favorite artist. I pulled up his Spotify history. This is back when he just had um, the, his mixtape available, which was called The Definition. Um, so I started listening to his mixtape, and then I made the mistake of Google image searching this artist. And I I don't like to judge people's work by their appearance. Like, I, I, I try to, like, judge people by just the work that they put out. But when I saw, like, what he, he looked like, it was such a different image than what I had in my head that I was very thrown. He's, like, 24 and has just, like, a very douchey, like, persona to him. Mm. Just the haircut, the clothes, the everything. It's not someone – it's just not what I pictured. See, that that's exactly what I pictured. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny. I, I don't know what I was picturing. I guess I was picturing – I don't know, someone a little bit more, like, nerdy? I don't know what I was picturing. <laughs> I don't know why, but I got the image of, like, someone who was really into folk music and then one day just started messing with the synth. Yeah, something like that, yeah. I was picturing, like, a Michael Sarah. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> and so when I saw, like, his image, it kind of tainted his music for me a little bit. Mm. Um, I started re-listening to songs and, like, rolling my eyes at lyrics um, and granted, even if I hadn't Google image searched him, I think I, I probably would have gotten there because he does have, again, talking about his mixtape, a lot of songs with lyrics that are just really awful. Um, but then <laughs> at the same time, he has songs that are really catchy and like I keep coming back to. So I've been really conflicted about this guy um, and his music for a, about a year now. Um but I've been excited about this new album that he's come out because even though I've been conflicted about whether I like his music or not, I'm, I still constantly listen to it. So he has something that keeps me coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, he came out with his new album on Friday. So it really just came out. Um, and I feel very similar about the new album as I did his mixtape. There's a lot of songs that are really amazing they're incredibly catchy um i know i'm going to be listening to them throughout the whole summer there's also a lot of songs that i'm just uh, i the writing in them really bothers me um his production i think is his best feature on his music he self-produces all of his albums um i love his singing voice i love his production the lyrics are come and go you know on whether (laughs) i'm going to enjoy them or not but um, he he does talk about faith and and like religious imagery in a way that I like. He kind of dirties it up, and that my favorite musical artists talk about faith that way. Um, so I appreciate that in his music. Um, his musical style is kind of all over the place. He cites Kanye West as like his major influence. I also hear like a lot of Owl City in his music. Sure. Yeah, he's like. If Al City was like a 24-year-old in 2016, yeah. um, <laughs> he also has like a lot of hip hop. I even his voice reminds me a, a bit of like the pop punk I used to listen to in high school, um, as well as like maybe some like Skrillex influenced production value. Mm. So he's a little all over the place, but I kind of like that about him. Um, I would definitely recommend trying him out. I'm not going to guarantee that you'll like all or most of his music, but I think you'll be intrigued by it. And there are definitely certain songs that are really, really fun to listen to. My favorites on the album are all time low woke the fuck up eighties films, which is really, really synthy and cool. Um, and his last track on the album is called the hand of God outro. And it's like a summation musically of the whole album. 
Love that. Yeah, so it's really cool to listen to once you've listened to the album all the way through. And it has this beautiful choir that's singing on it. And um, in an interview, he said that it's the choir that sang on Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror that he got to do this, like, final track for him. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I would recommend checking him out. And I really just want – the reason, main reason I'm bringing it up on the podcast is because I want some companionship and, like – this confusion that I feel about this artist. No <laughs> one else has ever heard of him that I've ever talked to. And I want someone else to like be like, yeah, it's weird. Like sometimes I hate it. Sometimes I love it. Or I just want some people that like have one opinion or the other so that I can like figure out my own opinion. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's awesome. I've been living, listening to so much, like you mentioned the kind of pop punk uh, mentality uh, or no, not mentality. Um, Genre inclination whatever yeah. i don't know what the right word is but the this kind of pop punk feel um in his voice and i totally picked up on that i don't know if i was vibing with that more this week i've been listening to um nothing but blink 182 this week i don't know why i've been at that kind of nostalgic mode but yeah this really jumps out at me as i am stoked to give this guy more of a listen thank you so much for this uh pick sandra lucas what are you feeling this week man okay so I have never been a huge fan of Snapchat. I never really understood what it is or found it useful in any way. But I think it had a purposefully difficult user interface and had and kind of had an attitude of not caring at all whether you're into the platform or not. Now, all that being said, last Tuesday, Snapchat updated its interface to be more friendly and it takes a whole new stance on users in general. So this month, Snapchat surpassed Twitter in the number of daily users. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I know. Now, to me, Twitter, as far as social media networks go, has been the place to go for breaking news, but it looks like Snapchat is trying to steal that title with its newfound audience. So it looks like 62% of American adults get news on social media. Now, currently, I believe most of that is Facebook and Twitter, but I think this is an area where Snapchat can succeed due to the fact that there's no timeline. You're just getting fed whatever is happening right now, and that's all that really matters. Now, Sandra, you use Snapchat more than the rest of us <laughs> combined. Am I off base here? Um... You know, I haven't seen it as used for news very much, but that probably depends on who you're following. I only follow one news organization on Snapchat, um, and they're not breaking any news. You know, they're just doing stories or they're, especially during the election, they're doing a lot of um, on-the-field reporting at campaign events. Um, But the hardest thing for me with Snapchat is that you can't share links. And so I find that hard I, I'm very curious about where it's going to, how long it's going to be able to, I'm very curious about how far it can go without having that capability. If they'll either give in at some point or just plateau because sharing links is like incredibly important on social media. You can do that on every single platform with the exception of like Instagram, which you can almost kind of do it. Well, I could see kind of the way that links are in Snapchat be kind of like Instagram because you can send links in chat, but nothing else. Right. But as like a content provider where stories are your version of the timeline. Right. um, There's there's not really an option right now. Um, Yeah, I, I really have a lot of fun with Snapchat, but it's definitely setting itself apart from all the others. By limiting the actions of the users as much as it does. Um, There's a really interesting uh, piece that someone did about how, you know, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, they all have a very similar set of engagement action items. You know, there's, there's a retweet, reblog, repin. There's a like function. There's a share function. There's um, a comment function, usually, on all of those. And Snapchat almost doesn't have any of them. So yeah. um, it's hard to, like, measure how well you're doing on Snapchat. Um, I love using it, but I am... It's also very confusing about, like, where you go from here. Yeah. Actually, what's interesting about this update is that they redesigned their Discover page, and they're featuring a lot more news providers like ESPN and BuzzFeed, as as well as the stuff that they were previously doing, like coverage of the elections or the NBA finals and stuff like that. Um, So through these news providers – so if I click on BuzzFeed and scroll through an article, I can share that on Snapchat. And that's something that I feel like is 
pretty brand new and could be a lot bigger than what they've done before with news. I really think that's something they're trying to grab a, ho- a hold of is how to handle news um, within Snapchat. Mm-hmm. The thing to me that's sets Snapchat apart when it comes to like providing content and news is that they only have those options available to select companies that they have like vetted and are like implementing into their app. It's not like anyone can just like do something with that format versus Twitter or Facebook where anyone can create a Twitter account and use it the same way CNN does, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, On Snapchat, you have to, like, have a well-known enough brand to work with Snapchat to be, like, implemented into their app in that way. That's something we've looked into with some of the brands that we work with at my agency is they want to be plugged in with the younger people and they want to be plugged in with Snapchat. But unless you're one of these larger outlets, it's really hard to do anything. Even accounts big, uh, you know, young accounts like Taco Bell – just have their own Twitter account or have their own uh, Snapchat account and we'll just post a story every day. And that's as much as you can do. And at that point, you have to have new content coming out every 24 hours. Um, at one point, they did a really cool like 3D uh, selfie filter, which is great, but again, requires enormous resources. So it's I feel like there's a larger barrier to entry for Snapchat for um, companies and uh, marketing and stuff. Snapchat is super resource heavy because you can't repurpose your content anywhere. Right. You know, like on Twitter and Facebook, you can like make a video and put it multiple places or an image can be used in a lot of different places. On Snapchat, anything that you design for Snapchat pretty much can only be used in Snapchat because of like the vertical format of it. Yep. Um, So yeah, it's it's a weird platform. A lot of people like it because it's weird. And has all these, like, strange limitations on it. And that's, like, refreshing. But growth, it, it just, I'm very, very intrigued by what it will do. Yeah, I feel like because that's what they're focusing on, growing that portion of their audience. Yeah. Um, that they're trying to make sure Snapchat isn't a flash in the pan. It can actually, like, stick around for a while. Yeah. You know, one, one interesting thing that I heard at South By, I went to a Snapchat panel, um, was one of the women on the panel said that Snapchat is the first app for her that can compete with the native camera iPhone app. Um, Because you you can't import pictures into Snapchat. And so versus any other social media app that maybe has a camera built into it, you can take your photos with your regular camera and then import them into that social media platform later. With Snapchat, because you can't do that, a lot of people, including her find themselves opening Snapchat to take pictures of memories before she uses her native camera, which I think is incredibly compelling. And a real shame because the Snapchat camera is zoomed in and blurry. <laughs> and I but I, yeah, I totally agree. I have friends that just every picture that they take is in Snapchat. And if they like the photo they got, they'll save it from the app. Yeah. But yeah. Gives you more options. So Lucas, I'm like the opposite of an early adopter in that I still have never gotten onto Snapchat. Uh, joining new social media platforms kind of tires me out. So as someone who What's is What's your on... Mitomo assignment again? <laughs> That's the only social media platform you need. Uh, so as someone <laughs> who is on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, uh, give me like a 30 seconds or less spiel for why I should start using Snapchat as well. I I would actually say don't. That's exactly what I want to do. <laughs> I like it right now because I'm interested in figuring out what they're doing that's new, but I don't actually like it to use i mean i'm terrible at it but sandra could give you some reasons (laughs) bring it on sandra here's the thing well so this may sound pretty vain but my one of the reasons i like snapchat is because there's okay here actually here's my spiel for it and this might this might encourage you um or maybe not but one of the things i love the most about snapchat is there's less pressure to craft a perfect image. Yes. So on Instagram, mm. I don't feel like I can post something unless it's like a really beautiful image. On Snapchat, if I if a duck is just like hanging out around me, I can like just film that duck and post it on Snapchat. And there's not like this pressure for someone to be like, oh, there's nothing like intriguing or beautiful about this like random duck. <laughs> the lighting is very subpar in that duck. Yeah, <laughs> there's like no pressure. You can post like anything on Snapchat. And because it just disappears, there 
you that's it's fine um so I use it a lot for like pictures of myself like I'm not gonna fill my Instagram feed with just pictures of myself but on Snapchat if I like the way my makeup turned out or I really like my outfit that day I think that's the perfect place to post a photo of it um it's also a place just to like be have like reactions to things in the moment or capture just like moments of at a party um, that again might not be compelling enough for Instagram, but they're still fun to watch because they fe- they feel more like you're there because they're not like this perfect compelling moment. To me, it's one of the most uh, the closest approximations to a feeling of presence that social media has come up with. I would agree. Because Sandra, you had me at it's a lot of pictures of Sandra wearing great outfits. Oh, that really <laughs> is the number one reason that you should join. <laughs> Brenton, yay. <laughs> yes, Sandra did it. I'll person. give you a tutorial, Brett. Like Brent, I'll like yeah, if you sign me up and like we'll we'll go through how to how to use it. I would love for you to make a tutorial because I definitely need Y'all, it. Y'all, we'll have a Skype session where we all like talk about Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has ever made me feel more like an old man than Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, Snapchat's UI is basically a big sign that says no old people allowed. Here's the key to learning how to use Snapchat is you read articles where people interview teens on how they use Snapchat. Ugh, I don't ever want to read those articles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, Brent, what are you feeling this week, my friend? All right, what I'm feeling this week is a film from 2013 called Coherence. Has anybody seen this movie? I have. Yes. Yeah, I'm okay, so, man, man one sorry. of the topics I really want to do on this podcast is something like Pop Culture Burdens, which is, like, those movies or books or songs where, for whatever reason, it seems like like literally nobody else in your life is aware of this great thing, and so it feels like it's so good and compelling that you're, like, burdened for the rest of your life with sharing the news with the world, uh, and this is absolutely one of those movies for me. Um, Coherence came out in 2013. It totally flew under the radar. The budget was somewhere around $50,000. Uh, it received, I mean, it mostly only played on festivals. I don't know if it ever got a theatrical release. So its gross was like less than $70,000. Um, I don't want to say much about this movie. Uh, the fun of it comes from knowing almost nothing and um, watching as the plot, um, which is essentially a puzzle, sort of unfolds or really unravels. Um, it reminds me a lot of Primer, um, Shane Carruth's uh, thriller from 2004. But whereas Primer sort of revels in really going off the rails and becoming almost incomprehensible, uh, Coherence always gives you just enough information so you can keep up with what's happening, uh, but still kind of feel confused and perplexed by everything that you're seeing on screen. So what I will say about Coherence is that it is a a psychological thriller uh, that starts with a group of like eight people just having a dinner party, uh, and then the dinner party is interrupted by a supernatural event. Um, this film kind of takes like a mumblecore style approach. Evidently, um, it was filmed over a few days and most of the dialogue was improvised, just kind of working off like a bare bones, um, list of certain plot developments. So your mileage may vary on that particular stylistic choice. Uh, but the film itself just kind of grabs you and, and never stops. So there, this is just a movie with huge reveal after huge reveal after huge reveal, Um, moments where you will suddenly see everything that's happened in a brand new light, or you'll see all the people on screen in a brand new light. Um, Sometimes the film does this through characters just announcing new information. The first big twist comes about 20 minutes in when one of the male characters kind of walks in the room and and announces something he's just seen, and that's when you start to realize, like, everything's about to blow up. Um, But sometimes it... it, um, makes these big reveals through just things like subtle camera angles or glances between characters. Uh, At one point, someone's doing a calculation on their iPhone calculator, and when you see the answer pop up on the screen, you're just kind of hit with this wave of dread, realizing the massive scope of of what's occurring and what they're experiencing. So my, uh, my absolute favorite kind of science fiction or fantasy tends to be the kind where, um, where the writer or the creator just introduces one small kind of supernatural element as a means of raising, you know, really interesting existential questions or new emotional dynamics that would be impossible in our reality. So this film doesn't really go as far as I would like it to have gone in exploring the huge que- huge existential questions it, it raises, uh, but that's really not what it's trying to accomplish. This really kind of exists first and foremost as a thriller um, for the emotional hook of those big reveals. And... 
what I can say is that there are there are lots of great little quick lines or great little quick moments that do still provoke pretty fascinating discussion and did when I watched it earlier this week with a group of my friends. Uh, I would say Coherence is a great movie to watch with um, with a group of people who are actually engaged in watching it. Uh, so it is fun to watch with a group because um, you can all kind of try and figure it out together and try and make guesses about what's happening. And there's just so many big moments that it always provokes a big reaction. Uh, but you also want it to be a group of people who are engaged in the movie and focused on it uh, because it's it's no fun if you come in 20 minutes late or if you have to like leave in the middle of it to take a long phone call or something. It's really easy to kind of just completely lose where this movie is. And at that point, it stops being fun. So Coherence, like I said, it's one of those movies that until I die, I'm going to be begging all of my friends to watch it. Uh, right now it's streaming on Amazon Prime for free. Um, it's pretty hard to find elsewhere um, just because it did receive such a small release. But check it out as soon as you can. It's about 90 minutes. Uh, just turn off your phone and everything else. Watch it for 90 minutes and it will blow your mind. Yeah, I have nothing else to add other than like definitely go see it because it's so so fun to watch with especially like you said Brent with people. Yep. And I'm still I'm still just kind of like stunned that it didn't get more buzz just because I think I mean there's other there's other films um that have dealt with similar metaphysical elements and dealt with similar ideas but this just the pace at which this movie kind of reveals new information and reveals new twists and and carries you along is is really stunning and so yeah it's just a surprise to me that it's not more popular than it is the way that you were talking about it and of course since i haven't seen it it may be completely different than this but um it feels like it's in the same vein as the one i love um i don't know oh. if you've seen that where yeah okay, yeah. yeah yeah they yeah, definitely have like ways, tonally actually. very similar right and i loved the one i love so i this really sounds like one i'll have to check out yeah. I, I whenever it showed up on your um oh what's that what's Letterbox. the social uh, yeah, when it showed up on your letterboxed, um, I was instantly taken in by the poster. I'll say that. Beautiful design on the poster. Which poster was it? It was kind of a table with a bunch of objects with organized the neatly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite poster. There are just different posters for it, and that one is gorgeous. And then there's some that are like, oh, this is not a great poster. So that Yeah, one the actual beautiful. DVD cover is really boring. It's just like the main actress's face from two different angles. Um, but yeah, the, the poster you're describing is great. And especially when you see the film, you realize like, it's just so chilling, even the stuff that they chose to put on the poster. So yeah, mm -hmm. I'm completely, I'm sold. I can't wait to watch. <laughs> Thank you again, Brent. That's a great recommendation. All right. Well, this week, uh, I am feeling, uh, something that I have had a hard time figuring out when to talk about because it's not really a culturally relevant thing with a release date or anything like that, but um, I just have never really uh, glummed on to the YouTube celebrity thing. Um, I know that there are tons of people making a lot of money, a lot of great content. YouTube Red is really popular now, um, and that's kind of changing the way that everything happens on YouTube. And I know that there are entire uh, age demographics that know YouTube stars better than they know movie stars. But as for me, I kind of like miss that boat. And so I, every time somebody says, like, click to subscribe or whatever, I'm just like, oh, that's gross. This is the end of the video, and I am exiting out of this window now. But I was doing some research for a uh, client this week and uh, stumbled across, just through the random keywords, um, a channel called Colin TV. Um, and so it was looking for a pizza client, and the first video I stumbled across of his was uh, – Domino's Make and Bake Pizza Oven. So, Colin TV, I'll just read the summary, uh, the about section for this channel. Colin TV is a fun, family-oriented YouTube channel. If you like videos or food challenges, taste tests, recipes, candy reviews, cool toys, vlogs, and many other fun ideas, this is the perfect channel for you. And the channel, this has a disclaimer, this channel is owned by a parent or legal guardian. So... Uh, Colin is from Carmel, Indiana. He is 10 years old. He is, I mean, if you look up the word precious in the dictionary, you will see his picture. Just like the most sincere, like positive kid, um, that I've come across. Like, it's just, it's so encouraging. Um, so this Domino's make and bake pizza oven thing is basically he's testing out, uh, this old toy that's like a combination of Lunchables pizza 
and like an easy bake oven. And there are so many, I was completely unaware, there are so many more uh, like restaurant toys than I ever could have known about. Um, and so part of my fascination with this channel was just finding out that all of these exist. So there's like a McDonald's Happy Meal Magic McNugget Maker, a Domino's Make and Bake Pizza Oven, Hershey's S'more Maker, Hershey's Kisses Maker, Hottest Twinkies Maker Machine, Dairy Queen Blizzard Ice Cream Maker. There's like 20 of these. Um, he reviews all of them. I don't know where he even gets these, but uh, my favorite one is definitely whenever he's making uh, Chicken McNuggets. And the machine, like it's all made out of plastic stuff. And um, it's like you're supposed to cut a McNugget shape out of Wonder Bread, and then you crush up your Rice Krispie cereal, and then coat it in honey, and it looks like a nugget. Like, it just looks like an... Oh, gross. I know. Wait, I thought they were making edible things. Yeah, they're actually making edible things. It's... No, they're not, like, it's not... It tastes nothing like a chicken nugget. No, but it looks like With it. With honey? But why would you eat that? <laughs> No, it's like you guys remember being kids. You would eat whatever the crap you could if it came <laughs> out of a fun machine. It's that's another thing. It's such a like uh, transparent corporate shillery for just like McDonald's. Like if we make this crappy toy, somebody will buy it because it says McDonald's on it. And if you look at the back, it's like not it's not chicken at all. Like it just kind of looks like the thing that it is. And so I just I got completely sucked into this black hole, um, and I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, so there were uh, – he also has, like, life hacks I, that are, like, if you're charging your iPhone, put it on airplane mode, and it'll charge a lot faster. Um, and I don't know. He's just, like, really kind and earnest and helpful, and he tells you how to do stuff. And at the end, it's like <laughs> at some of these steps, he's, like, really serious and professional um, you know, while still maintaining his approachability, of course. Uh, but at the end of other stuff, he's like smiling ear to ear and he's having the most fun in the world. So it's just like this kid. Um, I just am fascinated by YouTube culture in general, YouTube channels in general. And the fact that this kid has a channel with 50,000 subscribers and has over 15 million views. And... He's just, like, talking about these random, like, easy-bake oven equivalents made by different corporations with all these, like, plastic parts that I'm sure break after you use them twice. And like you were saying, Lucas, like, it's not the real food. But he's just, like, trying them out. And so he, he like, gets the piece of Wonder Bread, dips it in the honey, and then rolls it in the uh, bits of cereal. And then he tries it, and he's like, you know, it's actually, it's actually pretty good because it's, like, I like the, I like how the honey is sweet. And the cereal gives it, it's still crunchy. And so it's not, it's not bad. Like, he's just so generous to these, like, garbage toys. Like, all of these toys are depressing. And he's just, like, so generous to them and what they are and uh, their product offerings. Um, so, yeah, if you are just, like, in a place where you're bored, you have three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is, I really encourage you to check it out. Um, Another thing that I love about this is that it is only positive comments. Like, everything underneath his videos are completely like, you're great, Colin, or like, this was so helpful. Like, thank you, you did a great job. Like, you're so professional, la, la, la. And I just, I know that if I was posting stuff whenever I was young, I would have wanted to do this kind of stuff and that there would have just been, like, terrible trolls up and down the comment section. So I think the whole, like, channel being owned by a parent or legal guardian means that they are filtering out these comments and deleting them, which I'm just like, good on you, parent. This kid deserves some childhood yeah. for a few more years at least. Um, but yeah, if you guys are wanting to see reviews on, you know, candy, recipes, cool toys, vlogs, and many other fun things, then check out Colin TV. <laughs> Lawson, I think this is tapping into your deep desire to be a vlogger, like to make that as your like full time career. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't do it as well as Colin, so I just want to leave it to the professionals who have a bright future ahead of them. But seriously, you guys, like each of you, if you watch one video and let me know what you thought, then our friendship will be yeah, I'm interested. On a whole level. Oh, I already Definitely. watched one. I watched a, I watched some videos. <laughs> <laughs> I watched them. <laughs> okay, so what I think a lot of people miss about the charm of Colin TV is that you are not going to Colin TV for the content. You're going to Colin TV 
to watch someone do something that they are having a great time doing and just be like filled with joy and fulfillment as they're doing it. Okay, it's hard. I think it's hard to be a kid as an entertainer and impress me. Yeah, true. Colin TV, um, what I'm feeling this week, definitely not for everybody, but if you just want to see the joy on a kid's face from the heart of Indiana, um, check it out. He may not have uh, much to say you haven't heard before, but he's going to say it in a way that charms your little heart. I'm Colin from Colin TV, and today we're doing the Pringles Challenge. I can't wait to try some new flavors. Now let's put our blindfold on. Let's try the first chip. Sour cream. Sour cream, onion, or salt and vinegar. I'm saying salt and vinegar. It's sweet chili tingo. Wow, I was way off. On to the second chip. So now moving into our main section of the podcast today, we're going to be talking about each of our top three ways that we consume media. So we all know that there are very standard ways to take in media, you know, watching uh, TV through cable, watching movies at the theater, that kind of thing. But uh, the climate that we're in today has more options than ever. There's tons of apps out there. Um, there's tons of ways to take things in uh, live or uh, through someone else's experience. So because there's so many different ways that we can take in the art that we love, we wanted to uh, talk through a few of the ways that we found um, a little bit off the beaten path, some a little closer, that are our favorite ways to take in media. Um, Sandra, do you want to tell us what your uh, first, again, I should say, these aren't in any particular order, like um, the first- There's no ranking. There's no ranking, right, exactly. Just the top three, um, what are our preferred? So uh, Sandra, do you want to start off with what one of your uh, three favorite ways to consume media are? Yeah, so I listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, I, I'm almost constantly listening to a podcast if I'm not talking to people. And so I, for to listen to my podcast, I use the app Pocket Casts. Um, it is a paid app. I don't remember how much it costs. I want to say something like 3 or $4. Um, but it is so worth it. I, as a heavy podcast listener, I don't know how anyone can use just like the built-in iPhone podcast listener. It's it's so basic to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love it. So I'm interested to hear why yeah. this one's better. Pocket Casts. The number one feature is that it's beautifully designed. So if you appreciate good app design, it's, I think, the most gorgeous of all the podcast listeners. Um, but it's also just incredibly organized, great filters. It has every feature that I need in a podcast listener, and there are a lot that I need. Um, one of my favorites is that, um, and a lot of them do this, but like you can turn auto downloads on and off for certain feeds. Um, it has streaming available. You can have your um, different episodes listed as unplayed without having them downloaded to your to your device, which is also a, an important feature for me. Um, a cool feature that it has that I don't use but I think could come in handy is that it has an auto skip feature. So you, if there's a podcast that always has like two minute long intros that you never want to listen to, you can have it auto skip ahead. Oh, that's great. Two minutes into the podcast. So you can set that for the entire feed. Um, so I tend to like listening to the intro, so I don't have that on for any of my podcasts, but I could see myself or someone else using that um, feature. Overall, it's just a really, really great app. Um, I used to use Instacast a lot, but then it got um, shut down, so I had to find a new app to listen to my podcasts. So I shopped around all the, all the major podcast apps, and it had all the features that I needed and looked the best at that time. So I'm in love with it. Awesome. So this is my number one question about yeah. any new podcast app. The thing that I love about the built-in uh, podcast app, even though the design is very like vanilla, like you were saying, yeah. is whenever I'm listening to it, if I go from listening to it on my iPhone in the car to sitting down at my desk and listening to it on iTunes on my computer, it picks off on the exact same place. Yeah. So with this one, um, I pretty much listen to all my podcasts on my phone and, and I really don't switch devices ever. Gotcha. But there is a um, browser version of the app um, that will pick up your podcast in the place you left off. Um, oh, okay. However, the browser version 
costs nine dollars. So, um, whoa, it, yeah. Is it like a Mac app or is it just like a web? It's a web. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So that I just started using the browser version yesterday. Actually, there's mm. a 14 day free trial that I'm trying out, um, and it works great. Looks great. Um, picks up where you left off. But yeah, the only thing is that it does cost nine dollars to like. It's a one time fee of nine dollars to use the browser version. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's not ideal, but I love the Apple ver- the, or the iOS version so much that, and I don't really use the browser version that much, that it's not a concern for me. Gotcha. So I also have a podcast app on my list. It's called Overcast. Lawson, it also has a web app that will sync back and forth. The nice thing is that it's free. <laughs> uh, it's created by a guy named Marco Armin. I love him. Yeah, yeah, he's a fantastic developer who started Tumblr and Instapaper. Um, two things I love about Overcast are Smart Speed and Vocal Boost. Uh, what Smart Speed does is dynamically shortens dead spaces in a podcast to give you uh, to give you a little extra time back. You are kidding? No, yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it like it finds wherever there's pauses in the conversation and just like deletes those pauses. That's incredible. I can't believe that's free. That's awesome. Is, uh, it is used smart... to be behind a paywall, but everything's free now. Oh, okay. And I listen to a ton of podcasts, and some people talk really slowly. Yeah. And on a two-hour podcast, Smart Speed can save you a ton of time. And if you like to listen at an accelerated speed, um, sometimes sometimes I listen at 2x um, or 1.5, and Smart Speed can speed things up without distorting the audio as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what Vocal Boost does is normalize volume so it makes sure everything's on the same level. So if you're listening to a podcast where someone's a lot quieter than the other ones, uh, occasionally you'll get something like that. Not on this podcast. That would never happen here. <laughs> right. No, never. Our editor is far yeah. too talented. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what algorithm he's using, but whatever it is, is amazing because Voice Boost makes sure everyone's on the same level and is really, really clear. Oh yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, Overcast was like a... Um, like a close second for me when I was trying to find it, my go-to, my default podcast app. There were just a few things that it didn't have that I really was looking for, like organizationally and design-wise. Um, but it, it was a, a very close call for me. Yeah, Marco Harmon is not a designer. So it's not the most beautiful app in the world, but technically yeah. it is incredible. So I was going to ask about uh, the, well, this would be a great place for the Overcast app to cut out my pause, um, <laughs> about the uh, desktop to mobile handoff. Is there, you said there was a, a mobile site? A browser version. A browser version. Yeah. Yeah. There's a browser version that's also free and it actually, it syncs through your account. Okay. So you basically, you, yeah, okay. So you have a login and it has all that stuff across everything. Cool. Uh, so still thinking about audio, I'd want to move on to a device, which is one of my absolute favorite devices for listening to music or podcasts is, uh, my little iPod shuffle. Um, this is uh, one of the themes I've noticed in the devices I choose. I used to really love the idea of like devices that could do more and more and more things that had more features and could do this and this and this. But the last few years I've started buying things that really only do one or two specific things and do those perfectly. Uh, and the, uh, the iPod Shuffle is one of those devices that does what it's supposed to do very perfectly without many other bells and whistles. Uh, this is the version that I think came out as, uh, I think it was like 2010, 2011 that it was released, and they've made like minor improvements to it, but really haven't made any significant changes because uh, I think they kind of got it right. Um, but yeah, it's a great device, incredible battery life, um, and really easy to navigate. And Again, for something like going on a run or cleaning on the house, it's a great way to listen without getting distracted by lots of other things. Uh, I am in the process of moving from one apartment to the next, and so there were a couple weeks where, when I was going on, <clears throat> when I would go on runs, um, I had to use my iPhone because I had packed my shuffle away somewhere. And I found that as I was running, I would like get a text message and I would get distracted and want to read it. Or if somebody was describing something on a podcast I would want to like go immediately look it up on my phone and so I started getting distracted and occasionally I would like stop running to look up this stuff and it really made me miss my iPod shuffle which is not going to distract me in any other ways um so this and lots of other devices uh, I tend to love because it does exactly what I want it to do and not really anything else yeah I've never used one um before but I do love seeing them like out in the wild I feel like it's like a a thing that's like retro and cool and because it's like it makes so much sense like oh yeah it's even though that's an old device like i still get why people would want to continue using it right because it does literally nothing that my iphone can't do but part of the appeal for me is how limited it is and how it just does really one or two things 
Yeah, it's like $49, right? Yeah, it's like 50 bucks. Yeah. You can get them used for like a dollar. Yeah. Yeah, I love that about uh, like kind of single, some single function devices in my life too, Brent. I'll get into that later in the list. Um, so since everybody's kind of talking about music and audio stuff, uh, my favorite way I think to consume media is through a live concert. Um, it's always been something in my life where no matter how much money I have for like food or rent, I'm always like a live concert is a good investment. Um, there's something about it being a singular experience and it being something that you all get to be a part of in that moment. Um, the performers on stage is one entity and the whole audience becomes a completely separate entity. There's something very spiritual about that. Um, and, uh, I love that whenever you're at a concert and you buy merch, like the proceeds from that merch go directly to the artist instead of, you know, all these other, uh, companies getting a cut from it um whether it's a huge stadium show or just like a local small gig um i love seeing live performances um and live concerts so much um there's i of course i love spotify i love iphones i love um i have a, a few vinyl records i love listening to those but just the experience of going out and making a whole um evening of the music that you're about to experience uh really doesn't have Nothing else compares to that for me. I just, I really, really love live concerts. So with that, um, we have completed this round. Um, so Sandra, do you want to go back again? What is your <laughs> next uh, item in your top three? Yeah. So um, next I want to talk about like how I consume like video because I watch tons of TV and movies and I, whenever possible, do that through my Apple TV. Um, I have... A large TV in my living room with an Apple TV hooked up to it. And there are times when I'm watching a movie or a TV show on my iPad or my computer or my phone. Um, depends on like where I'm at or who I'm with. But whenever I can, I try to watch everything via my Apple TV on a big screen. So I have everything hooked up to it. Hulu, Netflix, HBO, um, as well as just a very massive movie and tv show library that i personally have super massive y'all yeah that goes through itunes and onto our tv so yeah just apple tv it's does everything i need it to i love apple tv so much like we the house we're in now doesn't really have room for a tv and so we're living without one at the moment watching most of our stuff on laptops but i miss the apple tv uh, user interface. I miss being able to get all that content that easily, especially with the updated Apple TV where now you can search for stuff and it'll tell you where it's streaming. It's just a really, really great device. I totally agree with you, Sandra. Going off Apple TV, I use an app on the Apple TV called Plex. Uh, this is something I've talked about before, but I love it. It's a media server that can stream all of your stuff to your devices. Uh, I had a lot of DVDs before everything went digital, and I ripped those and stored them on a hard drive. Yeah, same here. The problem is how to access those, because I didn't want to watch movies on my computer. So what Plex does is allow me to keep all of those movies on a hard drive, plugged into the back of my Mac, and stream them to my iPad, iPhone, Apple TV. Um, even at work, I can go to Plex.tv and have access from there. There's a paid feature that allows you to save media for offline consumption, so you can download something if you're going on a flight or something like that. But uh, it's just a really easy way to have access to all your stuff. So here's my question, Lucas, because I looked into setting up Plex for myself. Um, when you do the setup process, um, it's not uploading your content anywhere, correct? No, correct. correct. It is all staying okay. on your device, wherever that is. So because I, I got kind of nervous during the setup because... I didn't think it was uploading it, but there was, it was doing something that I got worried about, like my data, because I have about two terabytes worth of video content Whoa. on my server, um, on like my hard drive. Wow. So I was, I got really spooked by the idea of like all of that being uploaded and like my data from my data plan from Comcast just like being through the roof. No, it's uploading metadata for all your files. So. Okay. So it still is uploading quite a bit of data, just not the video file. Yes, I believe. Yeah. Oh, because, yeah. Yeah, because if you drop in an episode of a TV show, it'll auto-populate what episode or what show and bring in the cover and description from iTunes or whatever. Things like that are really neat because I want all of that to be perfect. Right, me too. Yeah, and the fact that I don't have to type in all of that is really great. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely might give it another shot. Yeah, it's grown a lot in the past couple of years. The, the interface has gotten better and it's, it's, it's just great. 
So Plex, all your media, anywhere you want it. Um, so I will also jump on the even more specific uh, part of Apple TV train. Um, HBO Go is my favorite app on Apple TV. And also, as I said right now, since I'm kind of going without a TV, it's a great app to use online um, and to use on mobile devices, uh, iPods, iPads, um, or iPhones and iPads. And uh, I just, I really find that I love Netflix, I love Hulu, but HBO Go is my favorite experience whenever it comes to uh, watching uh, TV and movies. Uh, Beyond it just being like really excellent curated content, um, the original series are of course incredible and the movies that they have on there are usually movies that I like to watch um their kind of smaller selection lets them make some really uh gorgeous and intuitive interface choices um and so whereas Netflix and Hulu can feel kind of bloated because there's so much there I love how HBO Go is just like okay there's going to be enough content here to keep me entertained it's going to be stuff that I love and getting there is going to be an easy, beautiful experience. Um, I watch uh, Silicon Valley on my iPod, uh, or on my iPad, rather, um, every Monday morning, and the rest of the time that I'm using it, it's usually on a laptop, and it's just uh, intuitive every step of the way. So, yeah, I I love HBO Go. Well, I want to move in a different, completely different direction for uh, taking in things like film and TV. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that it's finally summer in Chicago and everybody wants to be outside, but I want to make a case for watching movies in the park. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I know this happens in a lot of big cities. It definitely happens in Chicago, um, where over the course of the entire summer, just about every park will host viewings of movies that are kind of open to the community. Uh, it makes me think of an Onion headline from last year. The headline is, Outdoor movie guest excited to watch barely audible Back to the Future while sitting on tree root. <laughs> uh, so I will not make a case for this. This is not a great way to take in new films in particular, like films that you really want to see and pay attention to. If you're watching something for the first time, I say watch it in a way that you can focus on it as much as possible. But um, watching movies in the park is probably the most enjoyable communal experience of film watching I've ever had. I like it even better than a the theater because it's just a little more relaxed. Everybody um, is usually there to have fun with each other. You're almost always going to be watching a movie that everybody has seen, probably seen multiple times and has a big nostalgia factor. So it's just a blast to sit and to quote the movie with everybody and react exactly like, you know, you're supposed to react. Uh, last year, um, one of my good friends, uh, in the city hosted a backyard viewing of the Sandlot and it ended up being surprisingly cold. Even though it was June, a lot of people were like bundled up in jackets and blankets, um, sitting in this backyard, but we just had a blast watching this film. Everybody knew just about every line and was quoting it together. So, yeah, don't watch Coherence in a backyard, but if you're going to get together <laughs> and watch like Back to the Future or The Sandlot or any of these other big nostalgia trips, uh, it's just about one of the most fun ways to watch movies. I'm a big proponent of it. I, especially if you can find a lot of the times in like Nashville, the big movies in the park are like family friendly movies because you know, they want everyone to come out into like this big park. But in our neighborhood, we have one that does several throughout the summer that are more adult oriented. And those are also really fun. They'll do like Dazed and Confused or the Blues Brothers. And it's fun to like, have something that's in the park, but not always just an animated movie. Right? Yeah, totally. I've I saw I think I saw Pitch Perfect in the park um, when I saw it for the first time and it was like the airplane version. So parts of the plot didn't make any sense. They like cut out the projectile vomiting and it's just like, why is everyone grossed out? I'm confused. What is, and so a surprising amount of the plot and that character's development hinge on you knowing that she totally pukes. And it was like, (laughs) it made the whole movie very confusing. (laughs) Yeah, Brent. And thank you also for more uh, representation for analog picks. I think we all really have a, a soft spot in our hearts for those. Um, so let's go back to our third and final pick for the way we consume media. Uh, Lucas, you want to kick this one off? Yes. My third pick is in the realm of books. Uh, earlier I talked about Overcast. This app is called Overdrive. No relation. Uh, um, this app set up. This app is set up with libraries all over the country. Do you guys have this? We have it set up with the Nashville Library. Yeah. Yep. It ties into your local library and lets you see what they have available to download as far as ebooks, audiobooks, and even actually some movies are concerned. 
Um, it's all based on your library and what they have available, but it lets you have that digital experience with your library, which I think is amazing. I grew up going to the library all the time, uh, and I think it's a great way to continue that without having to physically be there. <laughs> um, I got my summer book pick, The Historian, as an audiobook through Overdrive. Lucas, does uh, the app make it really clear which books are like immediately available for download and which ones have like 30 holds? Because that's one of the still one of the most painful experiences for me of going to physical libraries is when you like search the online catalog and see what you're looking for and you go to get it and you realize like, oh, this isn't going to be available for a year and a half. <laughs> uh, the biggest downside with Overdrive, it's that it actually links into your library's web catalog to find these things. So it all depends on how your library displays things like hold dates and things like that. Yes, you're seeing your local library's web view before it downloads into Overcast. So my library does a great job of showing hold times, but yours might not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. So it only has uh, so many licenses for each of the different published works, and then you can rent. Like if they have one license for this ebook, then you have to wait for someone else to finish reading it before you can check it out. Right. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I got nothing but love for libraries. Yeah. Amen. I feel like that's a pretty safe, uh, non controversial position to be pro library. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I remember being in New York right after I graduated school and I was waiting for a train and there was somebody that came to me and asked me to sign a petition. I was like, oh, I don't have a legal residency. Like, I don't live here. Um, they went to somebody else and they were asking to raise funds for the public library and they were like, no, thank you. And then someone next to them was like, really? <laughs> Really? It's the library. Yeah. How are you not going to support the library? Like, in typical New York, like, in-your-face fashion, it was great. I I heard someone say, and I truly do agree with them, that libraries are, like, the best thing this, that society has done. Like, like everything else, like, oh, I don't know. But libraries, like, we got it right. We did one thing. It's like... Uh, so true. Yeah. Yeah. Libraries and museums. That's where we really nailed it. Yeah. And I yeah. should say, I'm the daughter of a librarian, so I'm definitely always going to be pro-library. <laughs> Your mom's a saint. Let's just say it. Yeah. On the uh, digital reading front, I definitely have a pick as well. Um, mine's more of the device. I'm really into uh, the Amazon Kindle. Um, and kind of going back to what you said, Brent, about things uh, being distraction-free, uh, the Amazon Kindle is my favorite way to read books other than the physical books. Which one do you have? Um, the one that I have is the, it's like the $50 one. Um, it's uses e-ink and there's buttons on either side to flip pages back and forth. And that's basically it. So there's no keyboard, there's no touch screen, there's no internet connectivity other than allowing for you to uh, go and download more books, which I love because I've tried reading books on an iPad before and I just browse the internet and I've tried reading books on my uh, phone before and that hasn't worked and sometimes uh, thicker books that you want to read might be too cumbersome to take around with you so I really love um, the Kindle's um, form factor and the fact that it's like so usable the battery life lasts forever Um, I got a case that um, has a little flip up light that ties it indirectly to the Kindle's power source so I can read at night. Um, and I just I have so much more affinity for um, a light being projected onto a screen whenever it's e-ink than to a backlit e-ink screen. Um, so I just, I, I have loved the Kindle. Um, and socially, this may sound like weird or vain, but socially there's a real like plus side that I've felt to people know I'm reading, but they don't know what I'm reading. Like, you can just assume I'm reading the most intellectual thing that I could ever think. Um, And I also, the Kindle that I got that was like 50 or 70 bucks, whatever it was, um, is uh, supplemented by ads. So whenever you turn it off, um, the kind of save screen is an advertisement for something. And when I got it, the money, the movie that was in theaters at the time was uh, Two for the Money, the Katherine Heigl, Ashton Kutcher movie. Yeah. (laughs) And I saw that ad, I mean constantly and it had the opposite effect of making me never want to see it ever out of principle which i think is not what the marketers were after but i found out you can pay you can go onto your amazon kindle account pay another 20 or 30 bucks to get rid of those ads um so now it's just like a a literary screensaver every time that i turn it off so i highly recommend that i really like having like i said just the bare bones let you read don't mess with any other frills but then uh, paying a little bit extra so that you don't have to look at ads whenever you turn stuff off. 
Yeah, I'll piggyback. The Kindle also made it onto my list. Um, I mean, obviously, so for me, reading physical books is uh, still my absolute favorite, and it's how I do the vast majority of my reading. But um, I I wound up with a Kindle Paperwhite, and I primarily use it. In, I'll use it whenever I want to travel, uh, just because it's so much more convenient than bringing like three or four different books in a bag. Um, and I will use it if I ever like really just kind of impulsively want to read a book and I want to buy it immediately and have it immediately. I mean, that's kind of the joy of the Kindle is you, if you want a book, you can have it at your fingertips in like less than a minute. Um, and then occasionally for libraries, uh, if I'm renting eBooks or if I'm, uh, borrowing eBooks, um, I'll use it on the Kindle. My Kindle Paperwhite without a doubt is my favorite device. I think it's the most perfect device that I own in terms of accomplishing exactly what it's supposed to do in the most kind of pleasing way possible. Um, like Lawson was saying, the battery life's phenomenal. Um, it is the least distracting kind of um, device. It is incredibly intuitive to use. And yeah, it just makes the experience of reading on it uh, really a joy. So I am also absolutely in the uh, the Kindle camp. I think Amazon has kind of worked it, has kind of gotten itself in trouble by they really solved the e-reader like they figured out the way to make the perfect e-reader and so releasing new versions they tend to kind of try and include new features um but i think ultimately they got it right with the paper white and so if they just continue releasing new iterations with slightly better battery life and things then i'll keep buying them so i'm gonna wrap us up with i guess my final pick um this isn't about reading books, but it is about reading in like some form of fashion. Um, my last pick is Tumblr. Um, so I'm not consuming, I'm not watching movies or TV shows or reading books on Tumblr, but I am doing like some form of all of those things on Tumblr. So Tumblr is one of my favorite ways of consuming media because it's GIFs and it's like commentary community is so powerful for me. Um, by like being on Tumblr all the time and seeing GIFs from TV shows and movies, it's the best way of me finding new things to watch because people are posting like their favorite scenes or, or images that they really love from whatever they're watching. It also is a really great way for me to keep up with shows that I don't watch. So for instance, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I like to be in the know about kind of what things have happened or who the characters are. And so by following people on Tumblr that do watch Game of Thrones and having them reblog their favorite scene in a GIF format um, or hearing people talk about the motivation behind a certain character, I get to stay like pop culture savvy without having to watch Game of Thrones every week. Um, it's just a great place to like be in the know about what's happening in pop culture. Um, I also really love Tumblr because the community of people that I follow on there have so many thoughts and opinions and theories about the TV shows and movies that we all watch. I love being a part of that conversation um, where fan fiction is, or is a regular occurrence. And I get to read the stories about these characters that I watched on a TV show continue on. Um, I love hearing people's headcanons about what a certain character is like. Um, that the show creators haven't pro they haven't provided all the information on the character. So we get to come up with ideas for what you think that character is like. Um, so overall, it's just like a great place for me to read fiction and experience TV and movies without actually fully um, watching those shows. Um, it's like little bite-sized versions that keep me up to date that I really love. Yeah, I will second that. I completely love Tumblr and the ability it has to give you just tastes of all these different genres of uh, film or all these different kinds of art. It's a it's a really great community. And I know that it kind of has a, a reputation for being a little bit younger community, and a lot of it is. Um, but it also just is, I don't know, I don't think that that's a reason to uh, dismiss it in any way. I think a lot of really, of younger people are coming up with really interesting creative ideas. And a lot of really, uh, you know, older people are putting forth some really entertaining um, content as well. And it's being used by all kinds of serious organizations and yeah. Yeah. I mean, like any social network, your experience is based on who you follow. Exactly. So as long as you follow people with interesting things to say, you're going to have an amazing time on there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing everything. Um, just a quick run through, back through everything. We had uh, Sandra's top three were pocket casts. Uh, Apple TV, 
on Tumblr. Lucas's top three were Overcast, Plex, and Overdrive. Brent's were his iPod Shuffle, Movies in the Park, and the Kindle. And mine were Live Concerts, HBO Go, and the Kindle as well. All right, so I think that about does it. Make sure to go follow us on Twitter at FeelingItPod and leave us a review on iTunes. Let's wrap up letting everybody know where we can find you online. Sandra Amstutz. You can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z, but go follow me on Snapchat. <laughs> Luke is right. You can also check me out on Snapchat, <laughs> but mostly Twitter and Instagram at Lucas and Stuff. Brent Bailey. Uh, you can find me on most social media platforms except Snapchat <laughs> at B-R-P-A-B-A. Although we'll see. Maybe I'll give it a try today. All right. And you can find me, Lawson Soward, at Lawson West, uh, in particular on Instagram and Twitter. And until next week, let us know what your favorite way of consuming media is because we are always looking for new ones. Adios, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.